Greetings, friends and fellow demons, and welcome to another Demonosity, where we will start the day with a toast for the Lima. And here's some good news. I'm making my book, The Nebu Generator, a pharaonic formula for wealth creation, available to my level three, that's Damon three patrons. Um, I'm making this available uh, as a PDF at that level. And the reason for that is because um, I, this, this, the teachings that are collected in that book are a significant portion of the science I'm dropping here on this show. Um, so that's at the Damon 3 level. You get the uh, Nebu Generator and also my book Damonosophy is also available at that level. And as we progress through things, I will eventually add other writings to that as we move along. Uh, but for now, um, you're welcome to join at that level for any amount of time to get access to these, both of these downloadable PDFs. And and you, and you can cancel or go back to uh, Damon 2 or whatever at any time if you want. Um, but that's where it is, we're making it available at this time. The Nebu Generator is super substantial money magic. The Nebu Generator gives you the tools that you need to begin understanding how to generate wealth in the world you live in with a new level of clarity and power. You will learn how to access and initiate the three basic engines of the generator, corresponding with the Egyptian Necheru, Horus, Set, and Kephara. You will need to buy any special crystals or burn any special color or candles or read any obscure incantations. You will not need to ask for favors from some faceless demon because you will understand how to create value within your own mind and with your own actions. The true alchemy of turning lead into gold. With the ideas presented here, you can immediately begin changing your life in a way that is profound and super substantial. So, there was a question on my Instagram about the cakes, the ingredients for the cakes that's given in chapter three of the Book of the Law by Aleister Crowley or by Awas or by Horus or by Set, however you uh, prefer to look at it. Um, and so what this is a reference to is if you've ever been to a Gnostic mass at a local OTO lodge, and I know about this primarily from the, there is a uh, OTO lodge in Austin, Texas. And because of this, I knew, I've met people who have been to the Gnostic masses, which they used to hold publicly there. Um, and my knowledge here is going back to, you know, late nineties, early two thousands, when this kind of stuff would have been happening. But my understanding is this is a common practice at OTO lodges. Uh, anyone watching this who knows better, feel free to correct me in the, in the comments. Um, but 
one of the things they do at these lodges is they have uh, little sacrament cakes that they give out to the public They're called moon cakes and that in addition to some other ingredients these are made with minstrel blood real human minstrel blood from real human uh, women so why do they do this well because it's says to do something like this in the book of the law. And so the question there was, uh, that the uh, listener had posed was, is that intended as metaphorical or is it intended as literal instruction? This is the question. And so this is a question that gets applied to esoteric texts like all the time. Do they mean to do that for real? Or is that, does it mean something? Is it a metaphor? Is there some esoteric wisdom in it? So let me read you the relevant passages here. I think it's in, this is in book three. This is the book that's supposedly written by uh, Rahur Kut. Rahur Kut um, is how the entity, uh, Rahur, but then later he says Rahur Kuit. Raise the spell of Rahur Kuit. So. I don't know. Basically, we say this is uh, understood as this is Harpocrates, this is the entity Horus, or as in the Aeonist set, we refer to as Harware. And this is in verse number 23 of book three of the Book of the Law. So, number 23, if you follow the mythology about this, is a significant number as well. Maybe that's why there's so much attention focused on this. I'm sure there's some reasoning behind it. And it goes like this. For perfume, mix meal and honey and thick leavings of red wine, then oil of a bramelin and olive oil, and afterward, soften and smooth down with rich, fresh blood. The best blood is of the moon, monthly. Then the fresh blood of a child, or dropping from the host of heaven, then of enemies, then of the priest or of the worshippers, last of some beast, no matter what. This burn, of this make cakes and eat unto me. This hath also another use, let it be laid before me and kept thick with perfumes of your own orisians. It shall become full of beetles, as it were, and creeping things sacred unto me. So, is it a metaphor or is this literal instruction? So, you can see that what they've done as far as like mooncakes go, they just go up to about the uh, second line of verse 24 and that's what they've made of, of mooncakes. In other words, uh, meal, honey, red wine, leavings, oil of a bramelone, and olive oil, and then blood, uh, menstrual blood. So, but then, I mean, the, the, the passage goes on, it suggests blood from other things, enemies, priests, some beast, it mentions a child, and I have to disclaimer here, I do not advocate any kind of violence against any other uh, living being. Um, 
children or animals or anything whatsoever, I think is absolutely uh, reprehensible and immoral uh, to be done in the name of any kind of religion or magic whatsoever. That being said, um, so menstrual blood doesn't violate anyone, it's all voluntary. Um, and so, you know, it's easy then to say, oh, well, that part of it, oh, he definitely meant that metaphorically. If you're going to accept any part of Crowley as being like legitimate or wise, then it sort of behooves you to say at least that part of it is metaphorical. Uh, blood begotten from violence against other uh, organisms, uh, human organisms. But then, I mean, if a part, part of it's metaphorical and part of it's not metaphorical, well, how are you deciding that then? You're just taking the things that you want to uh, have be real and have them real, and in which case you're just cherry picking and doing whatever you want. And if you're just doing whatever you want, then, then why spend all this time looking at this thing? The only reason to spend that much time studying one certain system or text is because you believe there might be some real inner truth to it. Everything's just a matter of putting together shit into some kind of way that you want, and that's all life is about, then there's no reason um, to uh, pursue a certain school of interest or dedicate yourself to, to something. So um, that's a question to take uh, inside for pondering. Um, and it's a question of why am I here? Why am I seeking after these things? Why have I uh, connected with certain... Um, systems um, is it because I do have an inner belief or inner intuition uh, that there is truth or an inner wish for truth and what is that what does that mean what is the source of that so I mean that's the best I can say I'd responded to the guy online and I, I'd said um, both it's both literal and and metaphorical and it kind of depends on where you are with it and what validates it I would say is that you is that it ends up becoming directed inwardly I'm gonna talk a little bit more about that uh, in a moment um, but first the other thing I want to say about about the whole mooncakes thing is that there are other examples of this sort of activity or behavior from gurus or schools of thought, which is the, um, let's see if I can get you to uh, drink your own urine school of thought, we'll say. So, you know, Robert Anton Wilson once made a joke about a religion where you eat a live toad every morning and the purpose of that is that if you eat a live toad every morning then nothing else worse will happen to you all day long so that sounds like a good principle really but here's something that i would add to that there's also a principle that if you do something disgusting like that, something revolting, something that your own senses, instincts rebel against, 
and you're doing it because you're told to do it by someone else, by some prophet or some guru or what have you, then that act of consuming that, whatever it is, makes you on a psychological level beholden to that individual, to this other individual. There is a hypnotic effect that takes place when you break a boundary like this and it's because someone else told you to do it or they're leading you through it. There's a hypnotic effect in here. There's a hypnotic secret that will put you under that person's power. So this is in general a whole thing uh, with the a whole, this ties in with the whole idea of um, breaking boundaries as an initiatory pursuit. There's different terminology for describing this and it all uh, comes down to the same thing. Um, with If you get into uh, Lords of the Left Hand Path and the structure that Dr. Flowers laid out there, this all goes under the heading of antinomianism. That one of the things, one of the elements of the left-hand path uh, that is called antinomian involves basically the practice of breaking, breaking boundaries of doing the opposite of whatever is considered uh, within your the culture in which you find yourself, breaking those taboos, as it were. So the um, from the satanic side of the house. The great, great example of this is, of course, the Black Mass uh, ritual, um, ceremonial, piece of ceremonial magic, uh, which Anton LaVey uh, describes in his book, The Satanic Rituals. And so, um, I can't remember if it specifically it recommends consuming um uh, excrement, but it does involve expunging excrement, ex excrement in front of other people, um, urinating, menstruating, uh, ejaculation, things like that are uh, are suggested to do in the ritual chamber in front of other people, and so a there's like this breaking of taboos. There's a huge, um, you know, uh, energy rush of like exposure or, you know, humiliation. There's also shame and struggle with that. There's all kinds of fucking uh, bullshit that can be brought up as a result of that. My point is, it's all about breaking taboos. So generally doing that, I mean, when you do like a black mass, unless you're doing it just solitarily on your own, you're always opening yourself up to this hypnotic effect from other people who are involved in it, uh, from people who suggested it, even to the idea or the meme of like Anton LaVey, if you're like looking in the, um, you know, if, you're, if the satanic rituals was an, an influence for you. So you have to take that into account. Um, remember I talked on the last episode about in general the effects that you gain from ceremonial magic are often temporary and they're also subject to the fact that there'll be other people involved and the different uh, mind games 
that can result from that, or let's just say mental effects, or hypnotic effects if there's someone else who's hip to this and going to take advantage of it. So for any of this stuff to be of value, um, let's say, let's okay, so let's like say maybe it's not even a value, but to not be uh, dangerous and that it's subject to this hypnotic effect and abuse by others has to be done voluntarily and solitarily. That means you don't come on here talking about it, you don't take pictures, you don't write a blog about it. Um, it's completely like voluntarily, like I'll never even know about it. You're not even gonna brag about it to your friends while you're drunk one night. You're gonna keep it that to yourself. Then maybe there's some like, um, some power that you can get to it that is not subject to being utilized by someone else. Also, since people are doing things that are violating taboos, they're also creating potential blackmail material um, for other people to use against them. So that's something to consider also um, before you do something like that in a group setting. So now I'm just gonna talk for a minute just about whether or not the substance itself has like a, oh. So here's another great example. There used to be a, a cultish person that I knew in Austin, um, really the person that, you know, told me about like the um, mooncakes and everything like that. Same person also said that a, uh, some guru, Eastern guru, Swami, Mawami, whatever, I can't remember the name. But the best practice for starting every day, first thing, drink a glass of your own urine. Right, instead of this, glass of your own urine. Just let that sink in for a moment. I know, and the cup is yellow. That doesn't mean anything. So this is what I concluded um, from this uh, friend of mine actually repeating this to me numerous times as though he was just really trying to get me to go for it. Um, is when I started to become aware of the manipulative effect behind these sorts of things. If at the behest of a certain guru, you get up and drink your own urine every morning, that makes you in this very deep way beholden to that person. Um, another group that did this when I was growing up and becoming uh, familiar with a lot of these magical ideas, including uh, Alistair Crowley's magical ideas, was a group called Topi, Temple of Psychic Youth. So this is the group that was, um, Genesis Purge was a significant part of. Um, I think there's also the guys in, guys in Current 93 and some of these other industrial people that were around. They go back and forth about who started it but Genesis Peorage, in my experience, became the figurehead of this in the late 80s, mid-late 80s. Um, and a lot of that's because he was doing the band Psychic TV, which promoted the Temple of Psychic Youth. And you could join this group. Um, and, and, and the emphasis was all on body fluids. So the way to join Topi 
was you did a working for 23 days. It was like the sigil of the three fluids or the rite of the three fluids or something. And it's like every day for 23 days, you write your will on a, on a, sigilize your will on a piece of paper. And then you create, um, you put some sexual fluids on it and you put some of your blood on it. And then you mail it to the Temple of Psychic Youth Central Office, which there was one in the UK, if you're in America, there was one in Denver, Colorado at the time, um, was the American base for Toby. And I, I knew people who did this. So I'm speaking from uh, in, indirect experience. I knew people who went through that whole process of doing that when that came out. And they were psychic youth and they took it all seriously as a form of initiation. Um, I was going through different things myself at the time. I was going through uh, membership in COS, and then a little bit later, membership in uh, TOS. Um, but since I had these, these were my experiences and I'd share them with other people during my age group, and this is you know late 80s, early 90s, who were going through uh, these same uh, initiatory things, but with Topi, and so they'd tell me about everything they were doing with the body, bodily fluids. So all the elements that I talked about um, as far as the hypnotic effect are definitely present in this and carried forward in the, in the structure of that organization, that you would create these things with your body fluid. You've done this stuff at the suggestion of another entity, uh, other people represented by certain figureheads like Genesis Peorge. And you think about it, what is the result of this? We used to, we used to joke, God, there must be a file cabinet in, in Denver that's just the, full of like these nasty mailings of, of with menstrual blood and semen and, and all this shit on it. Um, it's just got to be the most like nasty, like AIDS infected uh, cabinet, uh, file cabinet in America with all of this blackmail material on people. Cause you write down, you're writing down your will and everything, you're sending it to someone else. It's like, you know, I don't like telling people what to do, advise people to do or not do certain things, but at this point in my life, I would advise against doing anything like that. I also advise against drinking your own urine first thing in the morning. Um, uh, another group that kind of is like, that represents the same principles and effect that's been in the media a lot recently would be the Nexium. Uh, group, which there's a great documentary about Nexium that's on HBO Max right now that I recommend. It's a great study in uh, mind control, manipulation, and, and this form of hypnotism that I'm talking about. That once you talk someone into doing something, into breaking a taboo, that person will be beholden to you. And that um, I don't recommend that as a form of, of magic or practice. Uh, to practice that form of hypnotism on people because it takes a, a toll on you. And if you're legitimately interested in cultivating within yourself um, the other things that we talk about on here, consciousness, conscience, true will, um, an astral body or any of, any of these sorts of things, 
Um, manipulating and hypnotizing other people doesn't take you in the direction of those things. It takes you in the direction away from those things. It takes you towards the destruction of conscience, the dampening of consciousness, the general decay of uh, the moral fiber, general decay of, uh, of uh, super substantiation. It's the opposite of super substantiation, basically. It's a form of mutation. Um, it's the opposite of kefir. Getting back to the question of literal or metaphorical with all these things, um, when you finally get to legitimate uh, deep resources on it, you find the emphasis really is on not so much literal versus metaphorical, but internal versus external. I think a good example of this is in uh, this Secret of the Golden Flower material. Um, There's a portion of the Secret of the Golden Flower, which I'll share with you here. The way to the elixir of life recognizes as supreme magic, seed water, spirit fire, and thought earth. These three. So this talks about three substances that are connected with basically the three stories. It's like lower story, middle story, upper story. Seed water is lower story. In an external sense, this refers to sexual fluids. In an inner sense, it's referring to ener energy, right? That, that sexual energy or libido, as it's called in, in Freudian terminology, but the energy that moves in relationship to the lower story, a, um, suck, a an internal movement of that, a sucking in of that, if you will. Spirit fire refers to the energy that is connected with the solar plexus, the middle story, and also with the breath. So the breath, like very, very obviously, has an external flow and an internal flow that is always moving. But we're generally not conscious of either of them. So when we become conscious, when the light of attention is activated on the breath, then it turns it into something else. Then it starts to become spirit fire. It is also the nature of the soul. Um, and it's also uh, connected with the idea of second body or astral body is said to, uh, con be, to connect with literally, materially is connected with the material of the solar plexus. And so spirit, that's why it's spirit fire is the uh, energy that's associated with it. And then thought earth has to do with the idea of that the idea of the thoughts that are always being generated within the mind and impressions that are received through the upper story and that usually in our ordinary disorganized state of being those the energy from the mind is just really spilling out everywhere and really that's like it with all of them without like any sort of coherence without like sort of will or organization applied voluntarily by the individual attention, light, um, that 
all of these substances are just flowing out all the time, just ex being expanded uh, outwards all the time. So what SGF represents and a lot of other systems like represent, and I would argue a left-hand path approach represents, is a turning of the, these directions internally, an internal focus for all of them. This is what is also called the, the backward flowing method. So for thoughts, it means instead of my thoughts being like spilled outside of me, like just constantly with my careless words, my negative words, my thoughtless actions, my reactions, by them being focused inwardly, there's still that stream of associations is still going on in there. That doesn't stop, it never stops. But with an internal focus and I just start to observe those thoughts. I try to not get caught up in them, but just like observe them and let them exist while I'm observing the breath and while I'm sensing the energy that's within my body and flowing through my body. So, there you go. Um, whether it's literal, you know, I guess getting back to the book of the law, whether the mooncakes are literal or metaphorical, my advice is to take things as reminders for having an internal focus on the different qualities of energy that we deal with and process within our machine. So, and then the other thing that is suggested about the idea of having an internal focus is that you begin to do this on a daily basis, regularly, um, at a consistent time. Um, and I, I suggest this to be a uh, morning meditation system is what I have found uh, most useful in this regard. Last night, uh, my wife and I went to see the uh, Puccini opera Tosca at Houston Grand Opera. Um, and you know, some of you know I'm a fan of opera and the fine arts in general. Yes, I'm a big fan of opera. <laughs> so this is really, really um, easy to see with opera. It's maybe easier to see with opera singers, but it's in all kinds of music, good music. Goes in waves where it like, and then it blows up like really strong. And it comes back down. And music goes like this, it comes in waves, and it comes back down. And the more effectively it does this, the more you can feel it and sense it, and the more the music like moves you and draws you in. Whereas like when the music is just blah, 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 or if it's like random, then it just kind of ends up like, uh, I don't know, cutting you off from yourself, cutting you off from, uh, uh, perceptions and, and, and you just get kind of, um, you know, it, it like doesn't go anywhere. So you have to understand that your life follows along these same patterns, these same patterns as like uh, waves, <laughs> waves. <laughs> but what happens is it tries to go in waves and then it gets cut off and then it gets cut off because of all the random stuff 
that happens to us in our lives. When you start to implement a regular daily practice of say, uh, sitting or remembering yourself, what happens is you establish an order to that wave pattern that's happening. You bring a new order to that, that really your mind, body, soul complex has probably never really had. So everyone deals with this, like trying to get into a pattern of doing something. People are always taking on new projects. I'm gonna do it like uh, every every day for you know however long, and you do it for a while, and then you fall apart with it. And that's because like the energy of life, like is is the chaos of life is kind of opposed to it. And it's always finding reasons to get around it. So you have to be sneaky rather than attach it to a certain goal of accomplishing something or producing a product. It's just the act of, of being there, just the act of trying to be there and looking internally and doing it as early as possible every day before you get absorbed and taken away by the thoughts of the day. Um, by doing that, then you will start to change that pattern and add a new kind of order to it. So with the supreme magic of seed, water, spirit, fire, and thought earth, may you keep the dark fires burning.